Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels part 142. Paul, can we say that we're pretty firmly within the post-resurrection scenes uh, of the Gospels by this oh, point? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so the the pace is picking up once again after this astonishing revelation that has first been revealed to the two Marys and Salome by, seems like, well, again, we're pirouetting these four different gospel accounts that seem to be showcasing the story of the resurrection differently, but let's just give the gospel account writers grace in this probably super chaotic time uh, witnessing a yeah. super supernatural event. Uh, there's it, it only should increase our confidence in the historicity of the gospel accounts that they're not 100% correct. But um, the the women meet this angel that says that he's that Jesus is not there, that he's going before you to, to Galilee, and he wants them to tell the disciples to meet him there. And so they, they bolt off. They're going to go return to the disciples. And then, at, boom, out of nowhere, Jesus, greetings. And just a wild, seems like bending the rules of space and time with Jesus' first interaction with <laughs> uh, his, yeah. his followers once again. And so we, we go from there to the women returning to the disciples and telling them all that they had seen. And you get this really convicting portion where the disciples aren't believing they 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 just think it's an idle tale and uh right again this is an opportunity that most people would to to bash on the disciples to say that it's just a lack of faith but think of the emotional spiritual physical toll that seeing their rabbi being put to death has had on their psyche and how difficult that that really would have been for them and we ended up with going back to the Gospel of John where Peter and John are running to the tomb. John outruns Peter and gets there first, and Jesus' <laughs> body is yeah. not there. The The linen cloths have, the two linen cloths that we had talked about have been uh, folded up and placed by themselves. Yeah, and that's, uh, well, I mean, that's a perfect place to leave off your review because we're picking up exactly where you left off the same story we're still in john chapter 20 we're starting in verse 11 and i'm actually going to read a pretty big section here samuel it goes all the way through verse 18 and there'll be <laughs> there'll be some fun stuff to talk about at least i think so uh, you ready oh yeah let's do it john chapter 20 verse 11 but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, 
and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Okay. Now, on one hand, that's a great story all by itself. On the other hand, this is a little weird in the whole big picture. So let's see what we got. Samuel, do you remember? I know you mentioned it already, but I mean, you remember. We had this little foot race between Peter and John. Well, apparently, Mary Magdalene herself was no slouch. I mean, she had already run from the tomb to wherever the disciples were, told the story, and ran back to the tomb at a similar pace. I mean, she kind of had to. How would she be standing outside weeping while they were checking out the linen cloths? So she kind of had to be keeping up with them, right? And remember, she's probably wearing, well, it's not entirely different clothing, but, you know, a little more clothing, all the stuff. So, hey, Mary's got some, some athletic chops going on. Now, when Peter and John leave, she takes a peek inside the tomb, and she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus' body was, but but is no longer. Now, Samuel, I have to ask you, have you noticed who it is that's actually getting to see the angels and who it is that's actually getting to see Jesus? It's the women. Yeah, it's the women so far. Well, I, that's not exactly true. The, the, the Was it in Mark? I think it was in Mark where a couple of the uh, disciples got to see him. But for the most part, it's all women. Mark's longer ending kind of has it messed up. But remember, we talked about we aren't even sure that that actually belongs in the text. So it's all very interesting. So this is yet, I believe, it's yet another example of women's honor, relevance, importance, etc. Even in the midst of, I mean, this is like the big, big finish of the story. And they're playing a very important role. Anyway, the angels ask her, why she's weeping. Now, I don't know. Maybe from their perspective, it seems silly that she would be weeping. I mean, Jesus is risen. This is supposed to be good news. It's like, you know, victory over death and all of that. But she explains, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where. And again, we talked about who is they. We thought, well, I don't know. Maybe she thought it was the Roman guards or what. We don't really know. 
But she's sticking with her story. They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where. And so she is understandably sad. Now, she doesn't seem particularly surprised or scared by the angels. And so you got to wonder, does she actually know they are angels? Can she, did, 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 I mean, did they look human-ish or did they look angel-like in some way? We don't, don't really know. She isn't surprised or scared. But she does turn to leave. And when she does, she sees another man that she does not recognize. And I think, kind of, there's a subtle, subtle lesson here, Samuel. Messiah, and you might even say God, doesn't always look the way we expect him to look. She makes an assumption that he's just the gardener. It's an incorrect assumption, but the gardener, or Jesus, asked the same question. Why is she weeping? If I could just remind you, Samuel, where is she? She's at the tomb. She's at a tomb. Why would somebody ask the question, why are you weeping (laughs) when they're at a tomb? It seems kind of weird. But he also asked, who are you looking for? Now, she doesn't really answer. She just asks, and I, I guess just assuming that he must know what she's talking about. If you're the one who took him, Tell me where he is, and I'll take him away. (laughs) Another side note, Mary Magdalene not only is a great runner, she must have been, you know, extremely athletic, kind of strong and all that. I mean, she's running. Now she's offering to carry around dead bodies. I mean, this is pretty impressive. So then Jesus, he speaks just one additional word. He says her name. And Uh, in actuality, what he said was Miriam, not Mary. And at the sound of of her name, she recognizes him immediately. It's sort of that sheep hear the voice kind of moment. And she responds with, my teacher. Now we get the impression that she reaches out to grab him, touch him in some way, uh, maybe like the other example we had, grabbing the feet in in love and worship, etc., But Jesus warns her not to grab hold or maybe to seize or maybe even better to hold on to him. Like, hey, I love the hug and everything, but you need to let go eventually. And but his reasoning is because he hasn't yet ascended to the father. Now, Samuel, do you remember? Weren't there some other women that saw Jesus? Uh, wasn't there another Mary and Salome? Yeah, they saw him on the road, and what did they do? They fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Yeah, they grabbed him. They they did the very same thing, and Jesus didn't have any problem with it at all. Now, in this story, Mary Magdalene does it, and it's like, hey, I haven't ascended to the fathers. Don't don't keep hold on to me. And, uh, well, I guess maybe to look ahead, this probably isn't fair, but later, Thomas, he's going to put his finger, like, in the holes in his hands and side, whatever. I mean, either we've got this big contradiction here, like everybody else is able to touch him, but Mary Magdalene isn't, or it might suggest that, well, maybe the problem isn't so much that Mary touched him, but it was more like... Some, maybe something on the lines of she, she showed no signs of letting go. 
or or, or maybe maybe we're kind of uh, if if we look at the language of the text, may, maybe what he's trying to say is something like, you know, hey, listen, I, I am here now, but I'm I'm not going to be staying. So you realize you're going to have to let me go because I am going to have to ascend or something like that. But the I don't know. It's kind of weird. We've either got some sort of discrepancy, which we've got plenty of, so it wouldn't be a big surprise, or it's maybe talking about something a little different than it might first appear. Can't really tell. But either way, whatever whatever's really going on there, Jesus tells her, hey, go to my brothers, which again, so sweet when he does that. Go to my brothers with a message. I am ascending to our father, my father, your father, our God, my God, your God. Jesus's relationship with the father, okay, it's going to remain special. There's no question about that, but they have entered into something new. And I guess you could say we have entered into something new. We can be sons like never before through Jesus. Now, notice that even after the resurrection, he sees God the Father as distinct somehow. And so, so, I mean, like a lot of Christianity talks about the Trinity. So you got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. Jesus, man, the whole time, he treats God as separate and different. And, you know, it's kind of like God the Father is the boss, Somehow, I mean, even even if you see Jesus as God, like like we do, you know, there's something still important, preeminent, whatever about God the Father. And within the Trinity, there is still headship. Maybe we could say that. So, but here's the thing, Samuel. I mean, when you read this, I don't know how it comes across to you. To me, it it feels like he's talking about ascension as if it's something he's going to do really, really soon, not 40 days from now. But a lot of people have looked at this and and they see it very different ways. I just grabbed a few of the most popular ways to look at the ascension. So the first one would be this. It's very reasonable to interpret this as, you know, Jesus is just kind of announcing his victory. He's declaring that he will indeed ascend to the Father because he's completed his task as the true human, he will be rightfully seated with God in rule, which is kind of the original plan for man, you know, but but he's speaking of all this as in it's going to occur in about 40 days. Okay, you could take it that way. I mean, that's kind of how it turns out. That turns out to be the thing that happens as far as we know, but that's not the only way to take it. A second one is, and, and you know, some scholars... They wonder if there were multiple ascensions. And and let's just say two. I mean, could it be that he does ascend immediately for some reason? We don't really know why. And then he descends to interact with people over the next 40 days, followed by a final ascension. Well, I mean, I don't know. We don't have any reason to say that that's not right or completely impossible or whatever. I mean, it's kind of reasonable. It isn't nearly as popular of a view, but, you know, some scholars, they think that that's a a thing. And then the third one is that, and this gets uh, a little more, well, Jesus, Jesus is speaking in the present and in the ongoing. I am 
currently ascending and I will be ascending until about 40 days from now when I finally finish or something like that. Like as it's almost as if they're suggesting there's some sort of glorification process going on in him. Now, that's probably the least popular of the three. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know, kind of feels a little bit out there. But I thought I'd throw it out as an example. I still kind of feel like, I don't know. The one that makes the most most sense is the one where it actually lines up with the way it looks in my hindsight. So (laughs) I think I'm, uh, I'm a little tainted by that. But anyway, those are some ideas about the Ascension. If if you're reading the text and you're thinking it sounds a little weird, you can know that you're not alone. If you read that text, it doesn't bother you at all. You just think he's talking about the one that happens in 40 days, whatever. Then just, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just know that other people read it and it causes them a little bit of pause, a little bit of wonder at what you know what's really going on there. Anyway, let's get back to Mary. She goes back to the disciples. And let's just say Peter and John, uh, maybe they made it back with them. So maybe all of them are together. And and she tells them that after they left, she actually saw Jesus alive. And she tells them whatever it was he said for her to tell them. Now, since we've been kind of joking about Mary's physical prowess, we may as well finish that up. She had to make one final run back to the disciples. Now, okay, it says she went. doesn't say that she ran. Maybe she just walked. But, you know, whatever. We're having fun with it. We have seen that she's totally got the chops to pull this off. So I'm just saying we don't want it to go unnoticed. So anyway, the disciples, they've gotten a number of reports about Jesus saying that he's gone, saying that there were angels, uh, saying that Jesus has risen, saying, hey, you need to meet me in Galilee, etc. But, at least according to the text, what we've seen so far, they still don't believe, except maybe for John. So, it's a big section, Samuel. What do you got on that guy? Yeah, I've got a couple things. The first is I'm trying to paint this visual picture of Mary's interaction with the two angels and then Jesus. The text in John says Mary stood, and this is John twenty eleven. she stood outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and then there she saw the two angels. There's some interaction, where is he, where is his body, and then verse 14 having said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing so should I picture Mary actually going inside the tomb or is it she popped her head in to to look inside and she saw the two angels and then after she had the interaction with them she popped her head back out and turned around and Jesus was standing behind her yeah, so you're like wondering if Jesus was inside the tomb also, or was he outside the tomb? Right. Yeah, well, I guess all I can really do is share my mental image. When I read it, this is the way it sounds to me. Uh, I imagine her stooping, poking her head in, not really going inside, and when she turns around, Jesus is outside the tomb. Maybe, you know, right there at the entrance, but outside the tomb, not inside. But... 
It, it it could be either. I mean, you can you can paint your own image. Yeah, that's totally fine. I'm just trying to get my bearings here. the 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 other thing is with Mary's assumption that he was the gardener. I'm wondering because Paul, you and I recently went to Israel, and I know that you weren't at this specific little mini trip that we went on on the Sabbath, but. We went to we. I've talked about it in a previous episode. the The Church of the Holy Sepulcher is where one of the proposed locations of these three events the the death, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And that specific site we we've already talked about it being at the site of Golgotha, which was a rock quarry. So I'm trying to wrestle with why is the text saying that there is gardening happening at a place where it's a rock quarry like a garden and rock quarry don't seem to coexist in my head or is this is there something eastern going on jewish culture that i'm not aware of well i don't know i it's it's this is one of those difficulties samuel it's (laughs) in a way it's kind of like the shroud of turin where you know i just kind of take all that stuff with a grain of salt and i don't to put too much weight on either side but i would say there there i mean the the gospels have been very consistent in representing this area as a garden and so the place where the tomb is i mean technically that all got destroyed so whatever you were looking at it definitely wasn't his tomb it was a tomb but it's it's highly likely that whatever you were seeing was nothing representative to what it looked like in the first century. So it may be that they were, you know, doing some rock quarry work even in Jesus's day. That is possible. And there was still, you know, right outside there were trees and this and that, whatever. Remember, it's just outside Jerusalem. It's just outside what they call the garden gate. I mean, the, the chances of it being garden-like are really, really high. So what you saw there and what it would have looked like on this very day, 2,000 years ago in history, they they easily could have been very different. And so I I can't speak to it much more than that other than to say, dude, I don't know, I wasn't there. It was a long time ago, and so much history and so many peoples and so much destruction has happened in between now and then. I just can't imagine that your modern-day view, what you saw with your very own eyes, is an accurate representation of what was happening back then. It's a totally fair response. Yeah. Did I burst any bubbles? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's very Jewish response to say that both images can be present instead of one or the other that's my classic western mind uh, fighting <laughs> yeah. fighting back thinking oh it has to be one or the other but no both both images can be present it's yeah it's a toughie I, man i tell you it, you know uh i it wasn't long ago somebody was asking you know if you were a superhero what would your superpower be and it's so hard to decide because time travel would be a really good one you know <laughs> <laughs> among many others, I would love to go back and see, you know, just take all of these scriptures and go back and see what really happened. But I guess part of that is there is there is a measure of faith even to the scriptures. Hmm. And and that's that's the life that we live as Christians. 
All right. Anything else? Sorry, that was a big section. Do you have anything else? Mm-mm. All right. Well, let's go on because uh, I actually, you know what? This next story is a really good one. I don't know how much, if we're going to be able to fit it all in today or not. I hope, I, I hope we can. This would be good. Uh, where are we at? We are looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay. So when it says two of them, who are we talking about? Well, it's two of Jesus' disciples, but not necessarily and not likely any of the remaining 11 uh, we, we might call the apostles. So remember that Luke tells us that the women were telling their story to the 11 and all the rest. So, you know, got to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, it uses another phrase, that very day. Well, we're still on Sunday, the first day of the week. And this is important because remember, we're in the middle of Passover, but festival pilgrims were allowed to leave on this day, even though there were more festival days remaining. So that's always kind of a weird thing. You know, why would they be leaving in the middle of the Passover festival? Well, certain cases people did. So that's what's going on here, I guess. Uh, it talks about Emmaus and says it's a seven mile journey. So I mean, it just kind of depends. You have to kind of imagine what sort of pace they may, may have been keeping. I mean, it had to be at least a few hours to try to make a seven-mile walk. And that would seem like, you know, you're somewhat focused on the task. If you're busy talking and you're just kind of meandering, I mean, you could have made it last quite a bit longer. But today, we don't really have any idea where this particular village is or was. There was more than one Emmaus. It, uh, the name, I think it had something to do with like hot spring or something like that. So pretty much any place that had hot springs, it was on the list of, hey, well, maybe we should just call it Emmaus too. So it, they all get confused. So we're not exactly sure where this was. Uh, and then it mentions all these things that had happened. And just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page, they're saying, hey, their supposed Messiah had been arrested scourged, crucified, died, was buried, and apparently now has been raised or resurrected. At least that's what they've been told. They don't know. They have no personal experience with it themselves. So that's kind of like uh, there's a lot going on in this verse, it's, you know, just sort of getting us on the page. But it says this, and I love this. It says, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together. Okay. Do you think they use the word talking words talking and discussing Samuel because they just wanted to repeat themselves? Uh probably not. No. You know, and so many times when we're reading through our scriptures, we'll see things like this and because talking and discussing they kind of sound like the same word or the same idea, we just gloss on by it, don't really pay attention to it. But it's two different things. 
Number one, they were having a conversation. That's talking. But additionally, there was a little bit of arguing and debating that was going on. That's the discussing part. So they were having a conversation, and that conversation, it was it was turning into a little bit of arguing and debating every once in a while. So this was serious talk. Now, some look at this and they go, oh, well, maybe these are the same two that Mark speaks of in chapter 16, verse 12, right? That I mean, it's possible. And remember what it says, Samuel, you know what? Why don't you read that from Mark 16, 12? Read the, the little snippet I highlighted there. He appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. Yeah. I mean, you know, you hear that and you go, well, here are these couple of guys. They're walking over to Emmaus. Okay, that all seems reasonable. Is it is it true? Is it correct? Don't know. But it could be. So I'm just pointing it out. Maybe it's two different people. Maybe it's the same ones. Now, while they're talking and arguing, a stranger draws near. Now, Luke tells us that it's Jesus, but they don't know that. They don't recognize him. It says that their eyes were kept from seeing him or recognizing him. So, I mean, some of this we've wondered, hey, was this a God supernatural kind of thing or not, whatever? Well, I think this one, you got to go, well, this definitely was. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's supernatural, something. Now, we will see, and actually we have seen, a whole bunch of this. Some seem to recognize him immediately, and yet some don't. So this stranger begins to walk along with them. He's traveling in the same direction. So we just, I don't know, I, I'm guessing maybe we should assume the, the, the two guys in the story, they're assuming that this stranger has come from Jerusalem too just like they have, because it's festival time. Probably looks Jewish, even though they don't recognize him. Now, this, the idea of a stranger coming alongside, joining you on your journey, that's super normal. I mean, they would have been doing that for company, maybe for safety, I don't know, any number of reasons. Now, this story and the whole idea of people not recognizing Jesus it actually, if we're trying to get, you know, kind of a little spiritual minded here, it kind of fits with the whole larger theme of the Jews not recognizing the Messiah. And and Paul spoke of this like sort of after the fact as, yeah, and, and Israel is is partially hardened so that they may not see and recognize Messiah, but now the Gentiles do. And so... This, in a way, I mean, this has technically nothing to do with it, but it does sort of paint the imagery that matches or fits with all that. So, I don't know, just kind of wanted to point that out. Got anything from that little bit, Samuel? Yeah, um, this is pertinent to what you just said here at the at the end. Should we treat this specific interaction that is being introduced to us with Jesus and these two disciples as something that is sovereignly taking place for the intent of a larger lesson that is going to be told and experienced for these two individuals more so than what we've talked about before with 
the this new creation that Jesus is now embodying seems to operate somewhat differently than the way that our physical reality that's corrupted by sin and death have has with it so that like this this should be treated more as like a sovereign not recognizing more so than like whoa new creation is like trippy <laughs> well actually i mean it's a really good question and boy it seems like we're saying this a lot now yeah it could be either <laughs> I, I think only because the language says their eyes were kept from recognizing I'm going to go with, yeah, it's probably on the God's sovereign supernatural kind of thing other than Jesus's new body is just out there and weird and cool. Right. That's 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 what I got whenever I hear the language. But I'd... yeah, I, I think some of the things you said before, uh, I think that there really is purpose in that. And we're going to see that more as the story continues. So we may as well let it play out as we go. You know, anything else? play on all right uh let's see where are we at we're at luke chapter 24 let's look at verses 17 and 18 and he said to them what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk and they stood still looking sad then one of them named cleopas answered him are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. (laughs) Okay. So this stranger, which we know is Jesus and they don't, he wants to know what it is that these guys are talking about. Now, (laughs) seriously, Jesus knows better than anyone what they're talking about. Not only because he might, you know, know their innermost thoughts and, and that kind of stuff, but I mean, he's the one that actually lived through it. Well, so sort of. I mean, he died and then came back to life, but whatever, lived through it. Either way, he seems to want them to put their thoughts to voice. Kind of, I mean, you, you might imagine, see, again, they only think he's a stranger. He might actually be wondering how are they going to relate the story of everything that has just happened to a stranger? I mean, that would be really interesting to see how that worked out. Now, is Jesus really doing that kind of, I don't know, halfway kind of sort of manipulating them? to? I don't know. I don't know. But you could see how it would be interesting at the very least, valuable, possibly. Anyway, after the stranger asks, you know, it's Jesus asking, they just stopped walking. They they just stood there and mostly they just looked sad. And now we're told that one of them is named Cleopas and he finally says something and <laughs> it's kind of funny because he's like, dude, you've got to be the only guy that was in Jerusalem and doesn't know what's happened. However, I think just being realistic here, that that's not true. I mean, from Cleopas's perspective, it may have been true, but I think in, in real life, I, I mean, there were probably many people who were I, just completely oblivious to what was going on. I mean, there are a lot of people at this festival 
There's a lot of stuff happening. And, you know, there had to be some who they were just having a regular old festival. No different than anybody else. I mean, people were getting crucified all the time, all over the place for everything. So it wasn't like that was super special and weird. So I don't know. You can you can sort of hear uh, his heart, Cleopas's heart. Man, you must be the only guy that doesn't know. So what we can see is that these events for for these guys, these two guys that were walking to Emmaus, this whole thing, this was their entire world. So much so that, you know, I think it's kind of impossible for them to imagine anyone not experiencing it in the same way that they have, or at least being familiar with all of it or something like that. I mean, it was so dominant in their psyche, they assumed that everyone must be feeling it at least something like they were. At least that's the way it reads to me. So anyway, I think one more important thing right here where Luke, it's kind of like he's name dropping hey, Cleopas. Well, this may have been, okay, we're speculating now. This may have been because he was someone who was kind of well-known, someone that Luke's readers would know and care about. So some speculate that this was Jesus's uncle. And technically that would have been Joseph's brother. Now, Cleopas's wife, Mary, may have been one of the women at the cross. I don't know if you remember that, Samuel, when it talked about his aunt and and Mary, his mom, and Mary, the aunt, and uh, just mm-hmm. all that. I, so they're, they're thinking maybe there's a connection here. Don't know if that's true, but the reason that they would have known about Cleopas, number one, he was Jesus's uncle, but number two, his son, Simeon, Cleopas's son, Simeon, took over as head of the believing assembly there in Jerusalem after Jesus's brother James dies. So is that a real solid connection? No idea, but that's the speculation that goes around. I just think it's kind of an interesting picture to at least imagine, sort of muse about a little bit. So there you go. Any thoughts there, Samuel? Yeah, I was just doing a little digging while you were talking about this specul- speculation and another option that some people postulate is that because c- we talked about it in a way long ago in okie dokie most podcast but the, the the seeming absence of jesus's father joseph in 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 the gospel text after kind of his birth and the nativity and everything and and w- we brought it up like did Joseph die? Like, since he's so absent from the story, and this one particular scholar argues that this Cleopas married Mary, Jesus' mom, in accordance with the, how do you pronounce it, the Leverite marriage, whenever a brother oh, honors right. uh, his brother's legacy by yeah. caring for the now new newly widow. Um, no, absolutely no way to prove it, but it's an interesting image nonetheless to, you know, an uncle figure, a father figure that's now, you know, interacting with this now risen Jesus. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, very interesting. I'm telling you, the scholars across, what is it, 20 centuries now, <laughs> they they have come up with some pretty interesting stuff. So, 
Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Anything else in there? Nope. All right, well, let's keep going. Luke chapter 24, verses 19 to 21. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So, they're having this conversation. He wants to know, hey, what are you guys talking about? What things specifically? And, I mean, it's funny because basically Jesus is playing dumb, which, I don't know, Samuel, that feels like words I never thought I'd say out loud. (laughs) Jesus is playing dumb. He wants to hear their story as a stranger. You know, what things are you talking about? So, I mean, they kind of spill their guts. It's a, I mean, it's a quick summary version, but they basically say, listen, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed. And, and that means like, you know, the signs, the miracles, healing, casting out demons, etc., all of that. And he was mighty in word, meaning he was an awesome teacher. He saw the truth of Scripture and, and explained it. And he demonstrated both of these things before God and all the people. But the chief priests and rulers got him condemned to death and crucified, which sort of leads to, you know, the big point. He's dead. And then ah, this is the part that just makes my heart sad, Samuel. We had hoped he was the Messiah. God's promised redeemer. And then they add that this all happened three days ago-ish. So there is more of their story to come, but I just, it's in this moment when you have to notice how their perspective has changed. Prior to three days ago, they were convinced he was the Messiah, and now they are not. We had hoped. And that just, it just breaks my heart. <laughs> it's it, because, ah, uh, uh, well, you, I'm sure you get it. If you're listening or thinking for yourself, you get it. So isn't that amazing? He's listening to them. He, he's a stranger to them, but he's Jesus and he's listening to them. They, they've, they've lost that hope. This is what they would be telling other strangers that weren't Jesus. So, I don't know, crazy. What you got there, Samuel? Yeah, I this is this feels so rabbinic to me in terms of what Jesus is doing in this disguised role cuz you have to think and I'm not saying that his disciples would have done this in a disingenuous way, but being in the presence and among the authority of a rabbi that's going to affect the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you hold yourself, the way that you respond to questions he asks, just your general conversations with him because of the respect and 
uh, honor that he deserves as your teacher. But in this moment, you kind of, as for these two disciples, you get that dynamic removed, and it's almost like a pure, uh, unfiltered opening into the heart of the wounded heart of these two particular disciples to see where they're at after all this has happened. Uh, I just think that's... Uh, it's like it, it's an invitation for us as followers to mimic the same thing in terms of like now that we have this access back to God, like we don't necessarily have to put on this front of having to hide our transparency with him. We can t- we can come to him with our struggles, our doubts, our hopes that feel like they're crumbling and allow him to teach us something new in the midst of that. Yeah. And you know, and that's great. It's a great point and it also I don't know, in some sense should remind us as if we can hide something from us from him anyway. He sees straight through. It's only we who are tricked mm. <laughs> into thinking that we're, you know, putting up a front or you know, hiding something or whatever it might be. So yeah. By all means, just be real. Yeah. Anything else? No, sir. All right. So, still in Luke. Let's read verses 22 to 24. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body... They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So now remember, you got these two disciples, they're going through the struggle, they've lost their master, their Messiah, all of that. Jesus is there, but he looks like a stranger, they don't know, and they're trying to tell all this story. If the story wasn't crazy enough or heartbreaking enough, some other disciples, and in this case they were women, had told them that they had been to the tomb and that his body was gone. But then, even more than that, the angels, not the angels, that some angels had spoken to them and said that he was alive. Now, in their mind, and I I love this, Samuel, notice the wording here, that they had even seen a vision of angels. In in their mind, the women had only seen a vision. Now, were they diminishing their account? Was this where it was this their, you know, uh, copium or whatever? I don't know. But nowhere else was it presented as a vision of angels. It was like, no, angels were there. And so now he's they're calling it a vision. I don't know. I just find that very interesting. And it seems that before they left for Emmaus, they also heard a little bit about Peter and John going to the tomb, which makes me wonder, did they hear who actually arrived first, who was faster. Hmm, you gotta wonder. But they had verified, Peter and John, had verified that his body really was gone. But Peter and John 
did not see Jesus. They didn't see Jesus or the angels. So the, the point is, you can almost hear the skepticism as these guys are telling this story. I mean, they may, these guys might even be wondering about other ways that his body could have disappeared, you know, like something other than resurrection. And you never know. We talked about this being a big old fat lie, but maybe they were even wondering if someone took it. I mean, Mary Magdalene kept thinking that. So they were not celebrating his resurrection. They were not celebrating his victory over sin and death. They were kind of disappointed, confused, lost. And even with these reports, they just didn't know what to think. Don't judge them. It easily could be you. (laughs) Anything there, Samuel? No. No, I'm wanting us to hopefully squeeze this last section in before we head out. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to get the whole story in, are we? <laughs> no. Darn it. All right, but that's okay. Well, all right, let's go on then. Let's uh, look at Luke. We're still in chapter twenty-four. We're gonna read verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. And he said to them, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ?" should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. (laughs) Now, I, I don't know, Samuel. Remember, they still think he's a stranger. We know that he's Jesus. This stranger... He kind of gives it to him. I mean, I'm going to bring this forward into modern English, and okay, maybe I'm going to be a little extreme or a little harsh or whatever, but it's kind of like Jesus is saying, guys, it's like you have no brain. (laughs) How can you be so slow to understand and believe? The prophets wrote about all of this. Do you still not know? And it wasn't just the prophets. It was in the Torah. It was in all the, all the writings. It was everywhere. Do you still not know that it was necessary that the Messiah suffer and die and be resurrected? It, here he called it enter the, his glory. I mean, they had to be feeling pretty sheepish when some stranger is chiding them about their own master. And again, they don't know any different. From their, from their perspective, he was some stranger who didn't even know about Jesus. And yet, he knows about Messiah. He knows the scriptures. So it had to be pretty weird for them. But he's laying it on them. And then he, he really lays it out. He helps them to see the Messiah, which, of course, he is him, right? But they don't know that yet. He helps them to see Messiah in all of the scriptures. He said, beginning with Moses, that's talking about the five books, the Torah, and all the prophets, well, that's pretty easy to figure out. And then it says, all the scriptures. And so that includes the writings. It's the the, the entire Tanakh. It's the Old Testament, all of it. Their master was teaching them again. They didn't know it. In fact, 
They're going along. They're still thinking he's a stranger, probably kind of wowed at the things he knows, but it, it's not clicking for him. They are, they do not know that it's Jesus. But as he's teaching them, and Sammy, we talked about this a lot when we were going through so many different things that Jesus said, a lot of times it really felt like it was kind of, kind of hidden. I mean, he was, he was using parables and other things to bring a lot of plain truth to help people see things better. And at the same time, it, it still seemed a little bit fuzzy, you know? But now, now that he's resurrected, he is being plain and clear. Now, the scriptures, all right, I don't know that you could turn to a page and find anywhere where it explicitly and unambiguously states that the Messiah must suffer, die, and be resurrected. Okay, you're not going to find that. But even before Jesus had talked about these things, his life and ministry, even before that, Judaism had seen all of these ideas in the scriptures. It wasn't new to Judaism, may have been new or unexpected to these guys or whatever, but anyway, all of these ideas were there. And so after Jesus, after his life, all of this becomes much easier to see. It just is. And so Jesus is going to explain all of this to many before his ascension, and then I think maybe the part that we can relate to a lot better, the Holy Spirit afterwards seems to be trying to help explain all of this stuff to men all across the ages. So anyway, there you go. They 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 get the full teaching and instruction from Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, I love this section because I think that it is such a demonstration of the continued importance, authority, validity of the Hebrew scriptures in Jesus's phrase, Moses and the prophets, the Torah and the prophets, whenever that, whenever the phrase, the Torah, the prophets and the writings all get used together, that's the entirety of, you know, Western church calls it the old testament but it's not old in the sense that it's done away with um and i was just thinking about some kind of image to use uh that hopefully reinforces that um jesus is using the torah and the prophets as a case study or evidence yeah concerning all the accounts that jesus just went through uh to confirm his messiahship and in the same way in our at least within western world um, within the criminal justice system people bring evidence to cases to determine if something is true or not yeah and after that case has been closed in terms of like a verdict being reached what happens to that evidence at least if it's like big name kind of trial that's going on Do, does the criminal justice system say like oh the person's been found innocent or guilty like this evidence that we got we can now throw it in the trash because it's no longer needed like, <laughs> no they put oh. they put the evidence into storage in case that further investigation needs to happen concerning the case especially if there is more work to be done and in the same way, Jesus 
is not saying that this evidence that has been laid out of 4,000 years of history with God and Israel, it, it still matters and it still is needed to point to Messiah and to teach the world about Messiah. Right. So don't you guys throw away your Hebrew scriptures. They're, they're just as relevant now as they were when Jesus was explaining these things to these two disciples. See, here's the thing. Uh, let, let's say this right up front so that nobody gets confused. I mean, given the choice, we want the whole Bible. What we call the Old and New Testament, we, we want them both. We want it all. But the truth is, if you had to get rid of one, the one that we could actually do without is the New Testament. And that's crazy for people to hear. People go, what? You can't do that. But but that is the truth of it. I mean, it's popular today. It's much more popular today to say, you know, you don't need your Old Testament. You can throw it out. But that's actually the foundational part. That's the part that we need. That's the part that, that makes the New Testament relevant, that makes the New Testament able to be interpreted properly, all of that. And again, I, now that I said that, I'm going to say it again. We want both. <laughs> We don't want to throw any of it out. I'm just saying, if you had to, it would be backwards of what most of what you hear today. So, mm. yeah, the the evidence, the the Old Testament, this it's it's good stuff. Whenever you're reading your Bible and it ever talks about the scriptures, the only perspective that they had at any of the time they were writing this stuff was that meant the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. That was the scriptures. There wasn't anything else. So, I don't know. I just find all that amazing. But, yeah. Anything else, Samuel? No, I like the way you ruffled some feathers here at the end. We're 140 episodes deep, and we still find a way to <laughs> be a little spicy. Yeah, yeah that was kind of like, uh, forget the salt and pepper, hand me the cayenne. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I mean... I'm not trying to make some sort of crazy heretical statements or anything like that. I'm just, man, you need the perspective of what it is you're actually looking at and dealing with. And it's just important. It's just important. Yeah. Well, if you don't have anything else, I don't have anything else. I say we call it quits. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Talk to you again soon.